Good morning, Connection Point Church. How are you doing? Man, we are lopsided today. This side over here, I don't know, maybe they anticipated uh, something because I do have a beef to pick with some of you in this room, so I'm going to start right there. Uh, Sometimes I just get convicted, and specifically, uh, some of you ladies in the room today, I just want to, specifically, if you're a guest, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking about some of the ladies that are members of this church, I have a bone to pick with you about uh, some of the language that you use, okay? Um, I've noticed over the last year or so that there's been a move towards, maybe it's, it's been longer than that, towards generic language that some of you ladies are, are using, that you're just kind of throwing out these phrases, and I see it on social media. An example would be, uh, I've seen some ladies that will just put a, an article, and then the only comment you make on the article is this with a period, and you just kind of leave it there. As you, you just kind of give us an article and you say this, or you'll say something like, uh, I've got all the feels, okay? And I just want to point out that you don't have all the feels. You can't possibly have all the feels. At the same time, you never are angry and happy and at peace. You don't have all the feels. But yet, somehow in the last year or so, it's become just kind of, I hear it in the church all the time. I hear somebody say, hey, how are you doing? Hey, I can't even right now. I can't even. And I'm like, what is that? Or uh, the, the one I hear the most is, all the things. Hey, just all the things. And it's in no con, I mean, just people will just walk by me sometimes and say, hey, all the things, all, and I don't even know what that means. But the reason that I'm kind of upset about it is my precious five-year-old daughter, I come home from work and I say, hey, what'd you do today? And her response was all the things. I did all the things. And I said, no, 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 no. Tell me, what did you do today? What uh, specifically did you do? And her response to that was, I can't even. And she walked away with me and she did this. She goes, I can't even. And I know this is because she spent time with a person who will remain unnamed, who runs our Wii school and she spends every day with. And so I just want to make this point that you can't possibly have all the feels. It's never all the things, okay? But today I do actually want to speak to you in those, minute, in those moments where it feels like it's literally everything coming against you, where you feel like everything is literally in my life falling apart because there are some moments in your life. There are some moments that we encounter where it almost feels as if things are building and you know at any moment somebody's going to pull that last card and the whole thing is going to come tumbling down. Now, this happened to me several times in my life. In college, I had an experience where I could see my grades weren't going to make it, but I could also see, you know what, I'm not going to be able to major. I'm not going to, my life is about to go in a different direction. And it felt like everything was coming down on me. And from my perspective, that was my whole life. I hadn't lived beyond that. And so I couldn't see that, you know what, the first 18, 19 years of my life, that's really just the beginning point. But my perspective, I just felt like everything was about to crash down and cave in. You know, when we started this church, we started this church uh, really about 11 years ago. Now, Connection Point is only nine years old, but that's because before Connection Point, this church was called the Springs Church. And for about 18 months, uh, I was pastor of the Springs Church, and we actually had to shut down the Springs Church. And what was interesting about that time is we shut down the Springs Church, and for nine months, we uh, didn't meet as a church. We just prayed about what God would do. And God was calling us to restart the same church in the same area with the same people. And it just made no sense. And as I was shutting down that church, I felt like such a failure. 
I felt as if God had given me this one call to start a church, to be a pastor, and I had failed miserably. And there was no way anyone would follow me ever again or become a part of a church I was leading ever again because I had failed so bad. And it just, it was so disheartening. It was so difficult. And I just remember those, those days where I would sit there and we really didn't have, I, there was stuff I was doing, but I knew, you know what, this this may not even matter. We may not, this, I may never be a pastor again. I started to think about what other skills I have and I came to the conclusion, I don't have a lot of skills. I had no idea what I was going to do after my failed pastor, my failed calling to start a church occurred. And I just got to this point where I was so low. I, I just remember telling God, you know what? I can't do this. I've proven I can't, it's not like conjecture, like I don't think I can do this. It was, I can't do this. Like I actually tried to do it and I cannot do this. And the interesting thing that happened is that every single person that this church has reached or has connected with came after that lowest moment when I had, gave, when I had given up. That moment when I said, God, I can't do this. And that was the moment for the first time I really feel as if God said, hey, Joel, the good, if you can't do it, if you'll just step aside and let me do this, you can see what I have in store for you. That's really the hope that I want to get us today is you may have walked in here thinking, you know what, I feel like, I, I feel like things are going to come tumbling down at any moment. Maybe you feel like, like things on the surface look okay, but I just, I'm very unsettled. I don't know about my future. I don't know where this is going and I feel like I've already screwed it up. But what I wanna show you today is that it's that moment where we can become so overwhelmed with what we can't do that God can step in and say, you know what? This is the exact moment I've been, um, I've been preparing for you your entire life. Now, the context of this series and the context of this sermon today uh, is the missionary journeys of a man named, the, uh, named Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul, but he was just a guy who believed what people had told him about Jesus Christ. Now, this series is titled To the Ends of the Earth, and that comes from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Before Jesus uh, left this world, Jesus ascended into heaven, and before that, he tells his people, he says, listen, the Holy Spirit, you're going to get the Spirit of God and you're going to receive power and you'll know it when the Holy Spirit is upon you, you will know that this power and that will enable you to be my witnesses, he says, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. So Jesus puts this call on every single person who decides to follow him that you will take this good news that God has sent a son, sent a savior in to, to rescue you from your helplessness. God has done this. You're going to take that to the end of the world. And so every one of us in here who's following Christ, who's decided, you know, we can't do this on, us, on our own. We need a savior. We need somebody to stand before us in the presence of God and, and to redeem us. We have a command, a calling on our life to the ends of the earth. And so for you, that may be, we have a group going to Peru this week, leaving on Thursday. And that's what it may look like for you. But it, for some of us, it may be, instead of going to, to another country, it may be going to another house, just walking across the street. It may simply be in your work, going to work with your eyes open of the people in need who, who are in a place where you know if they just had what I had, if they just could see what God is doing in my life, then 
they would see life from a different perspective. That could be your calling to the end of the earth. But Paul took this calling so serious, and that's kind of the, the entire context. He took this calling so serious that he changed everything about his life. And he said, from now on, I'm gonna quit my job, I'm gonna quit everything that I've done, and I'm just gonna make sure that people know that Jesus changed my life. So anytime we're talking about the Apostle Paul, if you understand, if you, if you may think to yourself, I don't really know much about the Bible, I don't know much about the, the story of Paul and about these missionary trips, the missionary journeys he goes on, I don't really understand that. Just know the context of Paul's life is this, Jesus changed his life so radically that he spent his entire life going to other places to tell people about how different his life was. And that's the same story for almost every person in here who's given their life to Christ is that we were one person. We, for me, I know there was a time in my life where I, I tried to be a good person. I thought I was a good person, but in the back of my mind, I knew, you know what? I'm never quite good enough. I can sometimes do some of the actions I wanna do, but in the back of my mind, I know my mind is wrestling with thoughts and with just evil that, that I don't want to exist. And I know if I stand before a righteous God and he asks me about some of the actions I've done or some of the things that I've thought, I thought, you know what? I'm gonna be guilty. And so when I hear Jesus say, you know what, to the, to the person who is in the woman in sin, he says, your sins are forgiven, go and sin no more. No one condemns you. I hear that and that's, that's what I want. When Jesus prays, he doesn't pray um, our, our father who is far off in heaven. He says, Abba, he says, daddy, he says, my father. And he talks to God as if he's, he's a, a father who loves him. And, and when, when we're struggling in sin and we see God as our father who we can run to, God, I screwed this up. And our father just says, hey, well, let me be with you. Let me help you fix that. Let me take care of that for you rather than let me judge you. When we see God through the way, through the light and through the lens that Paul sees God, we can't help but say Jesus has changed our life. And that is the context for every single story in the book of Acts. Every single story in the New Testament is that Jesus changed somebody's life and they were compelled to go. But as often happens, even with the apostle Paul, you go with a intention, with the intention that I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what God has called me to do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna set this world on fire for Jesus. I'm going to follow him and let people know. And then life begins to just kick you in the teeth. And so that's where we find Paul in this story that we're going to pick up today. It's in Acts chapter 18, and Paul has been on this roller coaster. You see, he's, he's, he went on a mission trip. He went to, and he's told people about Jesus. He started these churches, and then he goes back to Jerusalem, and he tells some of the Jewish believers who had also followed Christ. He says, hey, I've got these people, and they're not all Jewish. What do I do? And so the church in Jerusalem says, hey, Go tell them just that we want you to follow Christ. Just follow Jesus. You don't have to become Jewish. You don't have to follow all the laws. Jesus isn't about following laws. Jesus is about the freedom we have in Christ. And so Paul goes back on this trip and he's telling all these churches, hey, it's okay if you're not Jewish. Jesus just wants to have a relationship. Jesus has died for you. Jesus wants to reconcile you. And he gives them all these sermons. And then he goes further and further and he actually goes past where he stopped on his first journey. And last week, we, we saw that, or a couple of weeks ago, we saw he went and he got thrown in jail in a city called Philippi. And then he goes, gets out of jail and he goes to a city called Berea and he finds people who are looking at him and, and, and really seeing, is this true? 
And then he goes to a place called Athens, which you probably heard of in Greece. And there was, Athens was a big city. Athens had a lot of, of different ideas and he preaches there and he finds some success there. And after he leaves Athens, he goes to a place called Corinth. And that's where we pick it up in Acts chapter 18 is he's in this new city of Corinth, but Corinth is a little different than every city he's been to. Um, it's different, first of all, because there's one temple that, uh, that kind of oversees Corinth and that's the temple of Aphrodite temple of love, okay? Sounds a lot more enticing than what it actually is. There are a thousand temple prostitutes and every single evening, these temple prostitutes would flood the city. And so it was just commonplace. In fact, um, they would say the word to Corinthicize. It was a verb that meant sexual immorality. You could actually go and Corinthicize and that had the context of, hey, we're gonna go and we're going to, to live it up tonight. And it was used as kind of this phrase that gives you all you need to know about the city. And this is the context that Paul is trying to call people to holiness. And so he goes and does what he always does. He goes to the Jewish synagogue. And he goes to this Jewish synagogue where he's Jewish so he can connect with people. But because this synagogue is, is in a city that's so unholy, that's so focused on things that are not about Yahweh and not about the, the God that they worship, they've closed themselves off. And where he went to Athens, everyone there was so open to receive and to hear about the, the, the God that Paul was preaching about Jesus Christ. But he gets there um, in Corinth and the synagogue has closed its mind and it says, we're not even gonna listen and entertain this. And so Paul begins to have this roller coaster journey. And it's interesting because when you read it, he's actually has some victories. If you just read Acts chapter 18, you'd be like, it seems like it's going all right. In fact, it says that Timothy and Silas, who were two guys he was traveling with, they stayed in Athens a little longer. They come and, and we know that they actually brought some money with them that the other churches had given them because Paul will, like any good missionary, he writes thank you notes to them later on. And so he writes this, these notes to these churches and in it he says, thank you for your gifts. Thank you for giving to my ministry. And so we know Paul, is, he gets to Corinth and then a few uh, months or uh, maybe even up to a year later, his friends come back, they, they bring some money. He goes from part-time to full-time now preaching the gospel. He actually wins the leader of the synagogue to Christ and begins to follow Christ. Unfortunately, we also know that that leader of the synagogue would very soon be kicked out of the synagogue for this belief. You'll actually see that at the end of this chapter, there's a new leader of the synagogue and you can surmise why that would be. And he has a, a couple of comments. In fact, there's a, a, a phrase in there in Corinth that says that many who heard what Paul was preaching followed and were baptized. So it seems like things are going well for Paul. But under the surface, he's got a good job, his friends are back, his relationships seem good. Under the surface in Paul, there is turmoil. There is uncertainty. There is fear. And the reason that we know this, and you say, hey, Joel, how do you, how do you know that? How can, how can you read his mind? Well, I don't have to read his mind. I can look at the very first thing that Jesus says when Jesus decides, you know what, Paul is in such a way, I'm gonna give him a vision. And in verse nine, it says, the Lord, that is Jesus, and, um, the, the, the risen Christ said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. Now, why would Jesus say that to Paul? Because Paul was? like four of y'all, thanks. Because Paul was, he was afraid. So even though things were going well, we know Paul was afraid. 
Okay? And, and Paul was afraid to the point where even though some people were beginning to believe the, the culture was not receiving him and he was, he was stopping what he, 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 he was quitting the, the, the things that had been successful for him. He was no longer preaching the same way that he was preaching. He was being silent in times where in Athens, he went before all of the people of the city. He went to the area, uh, he, he went to the, what we would call Mars Hill or the big uh, place where all the people with new ideas comes and he's just proclaiming and proclaiming. But yet here he's being silent. How do you know he's being silent? He's winning converts. Well, what's the next thing Jesus says? He says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Why would Jesus say, be, do not be silent? Because he was. There were getting places that, Paul beforehand would have gone boldly and said, I got to tell you about Jesus, but something was going on in his life where now he's looking around and he sees these opportunities and he's not taking them. He's saying, you know what? I don't want to rock the boat. This is a man who had been in prison already because he had rocked the boat. It's a man who'd been beaten with rods because he had rocked the boat, but now he gets to a place and he says, you know what? I, I just don't know if I have. And you can begin to think about there are probably reasons. Sure, he's got uh, um, money now that he's not having to work every day. He was a tent maker um, doing part-time ministry, so to speak, and he would go on the weekends and preach, but now he's preaching all the time. So it seems like it's going good, but he's not preaching in the synagogues where the people are Jewish, that the people are like him, where he has a connection. Now he's preaching with people that aren't like him. And even though he's got a kind of a home base set up in this guy's house next door to the synagogue, it's a Gentile. It's somebody who, even though he loves it's not like it used to be. And he's just getting these things where he's weary. It's harder and harder and he's not having the success he thinks he should have. And so now he's becoming silent and he's beginning to be fearful because he knows this isn't necessarily going to get any easier. And he's beginning to even have thoughts of maybe I should just wrap this up. Maybe I should quit preaching. Maybe I should figure something else out. So today, I want to speak to those of us in here who are going through the motions. Maybe your job is good, your relationships on the surface seem good, maybe everything about what people would see in your life seems stable. But in your heart, you know, man, I am holding this together by a string. In fact, I'm so scared of what's going to happen next week or next month or who knows where I'll be next year. And we're so consumed by our fear that we don't even take the time to think, why has God put me here? What is God doing in my life right now? How can I even think about proclaiming the name of Jesus or, or looking to those when I don't even know if I'll be here in this same place? How can I even be, think of being a missionary? How can I even think about serving others? You don't know what I'm going through underneath. That's what I want to talk to us today. So here's the vision that, that Jesus gives to Paul. And I want to just break this down into three different statements, basically, that I think will encourage us. Jesus says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many people in this, or I have many in the city who are my people. It says he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So this phrase, this one little vision that we only get three lines basically from, two lines really, is enough for him to go on preaching another year and a half. What is it about this promise, about this statement and this vision that Paul needed to hear? 
Okay, well, what I'm going to do is I want to give you three statements that kind of define our fear. And then I want to give you a kind of catchphrase that I, I summarize what uh, Jesus said to Paul. The first thing I want to see, show you about fear is that fear consumes you when you focus on what you need instead of who you need. Fear will consume you if you focus on what you need instead of who you need. There was a time uh, when I was about 10 years old, me and my brother had gone with my grandfather and my grandmother um, up to Leonard, Texas, where my grandfather owned uh, about 20, 30 acres of land. We called it the farm, even though it was kind of a small actual farm that he had in that, I mean, I think there was like one or two things in a garden that he grew but we called it the farm and we would go up there and he had, a, he had this horse. He actually had, there were two horses. My uncle owned a horse up there too. But these horses were, they, they I never rode the horses. I'm not a big horse rider. I, uh, I was, these horses didn't, know, didn't obey the way that horses should probably, that I had in my mind. They weren't as easy as a car, so to speak, as the, uh, um, all of the cowboy and Indian movies that I had watched growing up. And so, I never really got on the horses. I was not that big on the horses. And, uh, but it was fun to go up there. We go up there one day, and when we're driving up, there's a whole herd of cattle on my grandfather's land. And at first, I was kind of like, that's pretty cool. There's a herd of cattle, and Jeremy, and we're looking at it, and we're like, man, well, that's kind of unusual. And my grandfather's upset about this because these Cattle are chewing up his grass, chewing up his land. They, he doesn't own these. He doesn't know where they're supposed to be. And there's this big, big, big old bull in the middle of these cattle. And I'm talking a herd of cattle. In my mind, it's like 20 or 30. I can't remember. It might have been like 10, but it was a lot, okay? But I remember us kind of driving in in his pickup and just sitting there. And we're all kind of thinking, what are we going to do? And I'm looking at my grandmother, my grandmother, she has, she, I mean, she's like, uh, she would say it like this, my lands. She would always say my lands. And I would just think of, what are we going to do? And what's interesting is, I don't know if y'all have this experience, but old people back then were older than they are right now, okay? And I don't know if it's because I'm older, but uh, I look at my grandparents and they were probably only 60, maybe uh, 65 at that time, maybe younger than that, maybe, you know, 55, I don't know. But in my mind, they're 165, right? It's just this, my grandfather, my vision of my grandfather was he was a man who sat in his overalls and his trucker hat before trucker hats were a thing to be cool. And he would sit watching a ticker, the stock ticker or Archie Bunker. And, and that's what my grandfather, that's kind of who he was. But to our surprise, as we're trying to think, okay, we're gonna, what do we need? We need to call the police. We need to call uh, some cowboys. We need to figure out how do you move a herd who know, even knows how to move a herd off of land, okay? And, and as we're thinking, what are we going to do? My grandfather walks out, gets on his horse. He takes a BB gun, because that's the only gun we had. And he, granted, I didn't even know my grandfather could really ride a horse. And he hits the back of his horse with the BB gun, and his horse starts running or trotting. And I'm like, this is magical to me. This, this man who I didn't know could ride a horse is now galloping, and he starts circling these horses. And he starts keeping it. He's keeping his eye on this bull, and he starts moving all of these horses, and, and he gets them all together. I mean, horses, these cattle. He moves them all together, and then he 
takes them and he starts leading them out of his land down the road. And, and we just see him go over the, the horizon of the road. And he said, yeah, I took them onto so-and-so's land. They're probably his cattle, which know, now that I know, like thinking back, I think he really thought that was his cattle. And uh, looking back on it, I'm not so sure. But all I know is he took them off our land, off his land, and he rode it down. And it's just, a, it was a magical moment to me looking at my grandfather and thinking, I thought I knew who he was, right? I thought this is a, an old man who he's, he's successful, but really if he, you know, the, he sits in a chair, that's what he does. It never dawned on me that he was a cowboy capable of riding a herd of cattle down the road. It never occurred to me that maybe he had done this before. In fact, it never occurred to me that as a kid, he had probably done this many, many times, but as we thought about this problem over and over again, it never dawned on me to think, is there any of us in this group of four that can actually drive a herd of cattle down the road? It never, it never occurred to me to ask, who do we have? All it occurred is, what do we have? But one of the things that I'm learning more and more is that God never solves our problems with resources. It's almost always relationships. We uh, went and saw the, the play Aladdin, the musical Aladdin this week. And uh, there's that, that song where he says, you ain't ever had a friend like me. And as uh, I'm preparing this message, so he, they start singing that song. And I just, I was like, man, that's such a powerful statement that really in this, in this uh, musical that I'm listening to, it, it's not the, the three wishes. It's the fact they've got the genie. The genie is actually the power behind the story. And so when Paul is feeling afraid and he's not sure how he's going to make this happen because he feels as even though there's some success, he knows below the surface, this doesn't feel right. Jesus's comfort to him is not, hey, don't worry, I'm going to fix this for you. What Jesus says to him instead is, for I am with you. Don't be afraid for I am with you. It's a powerful, powerful moment because remember, this has been the promise that Jesus has made pretty much from the beginning. In Acts chapter one, he says, um, for the Holy Spirit will give you power from uh, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. But um, Matthew records this a little differently. In Matthew, he says, uh, you will be my disciples. And he goes on to say, for I am with you. In fact, we looked uh, even 2,000 years before Jesus, uh, we went through a series called Beyond in which we looked at the story of Israel taking over the promised land and they were consumed with fear at that time. And this is what God said to Joshua. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You realize that the primary promise you have when you follow Christ is not that he will give you what you need. It's that he is who you need. And it's such a powerful way to think about your problems and your struggles. You know, in this church, we've never had somebody just say, hey, I see y'all need a new building. You need this or that. Uh, let me give you a million dollars and just let me solve your problems. I've never had somebody just give me a resource that solved my problem. But you know what's fascinating about the story of this church? It's that God has solved every prayer, every struggle we've ever had with 
a person with a relationship by bringing someone. I was $70,000 in debt when we started this church. We had school loans that we still hadn't paid off. And when it came to uh, this idea of starting a new church, I thought there's no way I can do that. There's no way we need to pay off our debt. I need to make more money. We need to get stable. And a funny thing happened. My wife said to me, Joel, I think it's time we start a church. And all of a sudden my mind shifted from what I didn't have to, hey, two people think we should start a church. And then I went to my brother and his wife and I went to Jeremy and Rachel and I said, hey, I think about starting a church. And they were like, hey, okay, we're in. And all of a sudden, instead of it being two people, it was four people. And, and it was just a magical moment because I began to see in my mind, wow. I, I quit thinking about what I didn't have and I started seeing what I did have. And then we had some of y'all, even from that, that beginning back there, begin to say, hey, I'll check it out. And what happened was amazing. We went a year and it struggled through that first year as I learned how to lead and I still am figuring that out. But an amazing thing happened is every time we get to a place, when we shut down the church, we got to a place where we're like, hey, God, we need some things. Our worship back then was, you would, uh, I had people who would call me to ask me what songs we were playing because uh, the band only knew like three songs they could actually play well. Y'all don't really care about that. It was a big deal to me. It was so embarrassing when somebody would call and say, what, what songs are you going to sing? I, just, I was thinking about inviting a friend. I just want to... So one of the things when we shut down the church and, and, and began to pray about it again, I was like, we got to have somebody who can play more than two or three songs. We got to have... And, and you know what? God did not say, well, here's a lot of money. Go get yourself. Instead, God brought us a guy just fresh out of college and said, you know what? Your wife has a cousin. Go get... And, and it was a who... And step by step, every single step we've taken in this church. You need leadership in this church. All the leadership has always come from you guys. The first year, some of you in the first year, uh, you came thinking you were just coming to church and now you're leading different uh, things. In, 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 I mean, Daniel and Jessica, y'all were there the, the, the first few weeks when we started in, in a school. And now they're going on, Jessica's going on our umpteen, how many trips you been? Like two, three, what? Three, four, whatever. She's like, okay. All of a sudden we begin to see, you know what? It was never a what we need problem. It was a who we need. It's always a relationship problem. So the first thing I want you to see is what, what, what Jesus says to Paul is the same thing that I would say to you whenever you are overwhelmed by what you, by what you don't have. And you're fearful because you're looking at the things you need instead of who you need. And this is just simply this phrase, Jesus is with you. That's the comforting words, Jesus is with you. So here's what we're gonna do, we're gonna say that together, okay? Jesus is with me, that's what we're gonna say, okay? On the count of three, I want you to say this because I want us to, end, I want us to have this useful, okay? Count of three, one, two, three. Jesus is with me. The first thing I want you to see when you feel overwhelmed is that Jesus is with me. You are not alone in your problem. You are, are, are not in a place where you don't have enough. You've got everything you need. Jesus is with me. Second thing I want you to see, fear consumes us when we focus on what we want instead of what God wants. Fear will consume us when we focus on what we want instead of what God wants. And this is a lesson. If you follow Christ, you need to understand this. The next thing that Jesus says to Paul in this vision, he says, no one will attack you or harm you. 
That's good to get, right? We'd all love to have hear that. Verse 12, which is right after the vision, this is what the book of Acts says. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Now, I don't know about you, but when Jesus tells me in a vision, hey, it's okay, I'm with you. No one is going to attack you to harm you. And then the next sentence in the Bible is, and then all the Jews got together and attacked him. I would just kind of say to you, you know what? My expectations have not been met here, Jesus. My expectations of what you said are not exactly what I wanted to happen. But it's kind of an interesting thing because the technicality of what Jesus says is no one will attack you to harm you, meaning, hey, every time you've been attacked, you've been beaten with rods, you've been thrown in jail. Hey, good news, no one's gonna beat you with rods this time. Woohoo! okay? <laughs> Immediately, though, he's taken before the, the, the court and he's put on trial. And it's not just him being put on trial. Christianity is being put on trial, the things he is teaching. Now, what's fascinating about this is that the Roman proconsul makes a decision that's going to affect Christianity for 10 years. And you probably don't know this in the history because we always talk about how Christianity was persecuted, but there was a time of peace before the persecution. And it comes from this statement that was made in Corinth. In Corinth, the judge says it's okay for Paul to preach. It is not against the Roman law to preach Christianity in Rome or in the Roman Empire. And so when this case is thrown out, which is what happens, the case is thrown out, all of a sudden there is a, a um, precedent, a legal precedent that's going to hold for about a decade to where the church can spread without persecution. And it would not have happened if Paul would have seen this attack and said, I am out. Jesus, you said no attacks. I'm getting attacked. I feel attacked. I feel like this is not part of the deal. I'm gone. He would have missed out on a time of peace in which he actually can move and proclaim the gospel. In which one day he'll find himself in front of the head honcho and he'll actually give the, the, the gospel to him as well. And it wouldn't have happened if he wouldn't have understood. Just because you fight from victory instead of for victory, it doesn't mean you don't have to fight, okay? Even though we know who wins, it doesn't mean that we don't have to go to battle. The statement Jesus is trying to get through to him is that it's not supposed to be easy, okay? That's what we're gonna say together because I want you to hear this when you follow Christ. It's not supposed to be easy. Let's say that together. It's not supposed to be easy. The promise was never, I will take away all your problems. Jesus' statement before he left was, hey, in this world, you'll have many problems, but I am with you. I have overcome the world. It's not supposed to be easy. So if you're trying to evaluate, God, I don't know why you've put me here. I can't do what I'm supposed to do because I feel persecuted. I feel sick. I feel beaten. I feel all these things. Jesus is saying, listen, it's not supposed to be easy. So what have we learned? Jesus is with you, but it's not supposed to be easy. Just because he's with you, it's not going to fix your external problems. It's not supposed to be easy. But the last thing, and this is my favorite thing. Okay, the first thing I want you to see is that, or the, set, the, 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 the last bit of fear I want you to see is that fear consumes us when we focus on where we are instead of where God is leading us. 
Fear, and so the first one is that uh, fear will consume us when we focus on what we need instead of who we need. The, the second one is fear will consume us if we focus on what we want instead of what God wants. And the last one is fear will consume us if we focus on where we are instead of where God is leading us. Uh, when I was in college, I would teach adults uh, how to swim. Actually, I would teach 18-month-olds how to swim. And do you know you can teach an 18-month-old how to swim in about a week? But if you want to try to teach an adult how to swim who's grown their whole life fearful of the water, it is a lost cause. About half of them would step out. In fact, it was, if I'm being honest, it was among the most ridiculous things I've ever seen in my life. I would take this group of adults who five, six feet tall, and I would walk them down steps into a pool into three feet of water. And when they hit what they knew was the last step, no matter how tall they were, they would get real wobbly and they would get to the wall. And even though they could walk anywhere they wanted to in that end of the pool, they would get so fearful. And when it came time for me to actually lift and, and I would hold them up and in their minds, they know all I got to do is stand up. They would flip out. Half of them would leave and start crying and go. And all they had to do was stand up, but they were so focused on their fear of being in the water that they never saw the fact that someday they could be swimmers and actually be in the water and have no fear, but they could not get past where they were. It's very interesting, the last thing that Jesus says in this vision. For I have many in this city who are my people. Which Paul has got to be thinking, well, where the heck are they? <laughs> because I've been in this city now for a while and I have a few, but I don't have what I would consider many, considering where I've been and what I've seen. But Jesus says, I have many in the city who are my people. The interesting thing is that Jesus is not telling him, you've already accomplished everything you're going to accomplish. What he's saying is, there are so many people in this city who are going to be reached through you. You just haven't reached them yet, but they're there and they're my people and it's already happened and it's going to happen. And if you could see the, the harvest that I see, if you could see what, what I'm about to do, if you'll just keep going, I want to promise you, Paul, the best is yet to come. And that's what Jesus is telling them. You, you've given your life to reach people for Christ. And he's saying, listen, I got a ton of people here and you're about to reach them. The best is yet to come. That's the last thing we're gonna, gonna remind ourselves. So we're gonna say that together. The best is yet to come. Let's say it together. The best is yet to come. And I just wanna remind you, why would this statement make any impact on the, on the Apostle Paul? Why would he continue in a place that he was so overwhelmed and so fearful that he was thinking about giving up ministry? And Jesus simply reminds him, Paul, you're not alone. Jesus is with you. And it's supposed to be hard. It's not supposed to be easy. But the best is yet to come. So I just want to encourage you today, wherever you are, that when you are serving the Lord, when you have given your life for Christ, you have at least three promises that I would say hold to you as well as, as Paul. You may feel like you don't have what you need. You may feel like you don't know how you're going to pay for the next uh, month's rent, let alone go on a mission for Christ. But I got good news. It's not what you need. It's who you need. And Jesus is with you. And it's not supposed to be easy. But listen, if you stick with it, the best is yet to come. Jesus is never finished with us. Now this week for me, this has been a, 
a rallying cry for me because as we announced last week, our church is in a season of transition. We're actually going to be leaving this building and not only leaving this building, we're going to be leaving this city. We're going to be moving about 15 minutes away from here. And the most challenging part of this is that we're not moving to another building, even though we've been saving and we've got right now over $200,000 put away, but yet we're not going to be buying a building. We're going to be going week to week in a school. And at first when I heard this, and I told some of you this, first when I heard this, I was so overwhelmed with it. I was so overwhelmed why I feel like I'm back to where I started. I feel like I'm taking a step back and and I feel like there are, I had some people were like, oh, what are y'all going to do? Oh my gosh, what are you going to do? And I felt like, oh my gosh, all of a sudden we're, we're starting, I don't know if I can start over. And then all of a sudden, I just, as I prepared this message, it just began to speak to me. Do we need a building? Do we need more money? Because that's what we were told. We want to buy a building. We it would be such a mistake if we said, you know what? You know what we need? When, in fact, I'll ask, hey, when it comes to starting a church, what, what, what is our next season going to look like? And about a, a year ago, we were dreaming some crazy dreams. Hey, wouldn't it be good if we had this in a building, if we had a patio, if we had this and that? And I, I was just reminded, it's not what we need, it's who we need. And all of a sudden, I was like, you know what? Not only do we have a command in a, from, our, from Jesus, not only do we have a Savior that has overcome death itself and has made the promise that that power is in us, but we're no longer the church that we used to be. And now we're a church that is 10 years into this. We're a church where we have a hundred, over a hundred members rather than just a handful, like when we started. And all of a sudden I began to get excited, realizing that how many people God has brought to us just to prepare us for the next season of doing this. And, I, and I'm not alone in this. Jesus is with me. You're not alone. Jesus is with you. And then the next thing I started thinking is, man, I had some people say, that's going to be rough. That's going to be, you have to have a setup team again. You're gonna, and, and I was just reminded, it's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to just be easy. Hey, we're going to buy a, a big old yacht and we're going to have church on a yacht and we're just going to all, you know, we're going to vacation every day. It's not supposed to be easy. But the more and more, I thought about it and I thought, you know what? Just like he said to Paul, you know what? There are so many people that you can't see yet that we're going to reach as we make this move. There's so many people that are just waiting, your neighbors, your friends, your, your family. There are so many people that are gonna come and see Connection Point Church and they're gonna walk in and they're gonna say, wow, y'all prepared all of that for us? You, you, you've been waiting. It's like we've been waiting for you to get here. I'm more convinced than I've ever been that the best is yet to come for what we're about to see. And I'm so excited about it because if you would have told me a year and a half into this when I was thinking of shutting this down that 10 years from now, we'd have over 100 people ready and willing to follow Jesus with gifts in so many different areas that, that I couldn't begin to do what God has done in this church and is gonna do in this church. I'd have been so thrilled to hear that news. So as we leave today, I want you to know this isn't just a promise that I encourage you to, pre to pray and, and to remind yourself. This week and, and in this season, I can tell you I have less fear than I've ever had for the future of our church because I know three things. Jesus is with us. It's supposed to be hard, but the best is yet to come. Let's pray.
Lord, I know that there are people in this place right now who are overwhelmed, who feel like even though from the outside it may look like it's just one thing, you know, it's just my job or, hey, you know, I've got this other relationship that, or this relationship, maybe my marriage. Maybe it seems like there's just one little thing, but there are some people in this room that feel like it's all the things. There's some people in this room that feel so overwhelmed with what they don't have and by how hard life seems right now that they can't conceive that the best is yet to come. So Lord, in this moment right now, I pray that your Holy Spirit will just empower them and motivate, encourage them and let them see that you are not done with them yet. That you have taken them through a journey that is difficult. You have built them into a new person they were before they went through it. But you did it because you have more in store. Lord, we worship you because you overcame the world. You overcame death itself. There's nothing in this world we face that our Savior didn't overcome. And your promise is not that we, by our own strength, can get stronger and get good enough and do this, but your promise is that if we will trust in you, your power will make us righteous before God. Your power will make us strong before death and before struggles, that your power in us will change the world. So Lord, I pray we walk out of here with a, a new optimism, a new hope of knowing the best is yet to come because our Savior is with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.